0: Slavery is back.
1: There are many ways
2: that Welcome you a can keep up to date 3 from news, events, labor news, events and programs,
3: yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison.
0: It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another.
5: And we're still talking about revolution.
4: Hello and welcome to the Do Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Keith Munro, who... I'm really very much looking forward to talking to and we're going to be talking about Mile Creek and the upcoming memorial that's, that's going to be having a, a large number of, of speakers. And just a reminder and a warning to listeners that there may be or well, there will be audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that have died It's approximately four o'clock and we're going to be speaking with Keith shortly about Mile Creek and the massacre that happened there. And it's really important to actually look back and talk about Aboriginal history and how that is connected to the ongoing genocide and colonisation of today. And in fact, this is really a continuation of the discussion that happened in regards to when we spoke with Lyndall, um, Lyndall Ryan and we spoke with her about the frontier war, some of the frontier wars of Victoria and spoke about the development of a digital map of massacre sites of Aboriginal people across the Australian frontier, um, 1788 to 1930. And in fact, Linda was going to be a guest speaker at the um, upcoming memorial. So I want to speak to Keith pretty soon, just about Mile Creek, um, just to let listeners know What's happened? We need to refresh the topic. We need to to make sure that it stays alive. And then after that, we we will speak with Grandmothers Against Removal. We'll be speaking with Auntie Alison Fuller, and also Desi. Um, and we'll we'll speak about her what land she's from and her full name, as we speak to Alison, who will be introducing Desi. Alison will be patching Desi through, and we'll be having a little bit of a conference call and panel discussion. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Tiffany Overall from Youth Law in regards to um, pushing the the age of criminal responsibility for young young people. And in fact, we all know what's happened to young children um, who've been punished by going into the the legal system and and prisons but first up we'll be speaking with keith keith welcome to the program it's so great to have you
0: yeah i'm alright how are you
4: really okay yeah <laughs> we've got a bit of a hard lockdown but yeah we're surviving
0: <laughs> good
4: good good so keith can you just tell us what land you're from and and really talk about and and maybe talk about what's happened at mile creek yeah
0: I'm a proud descendant of the Ngomero Nation, uh, north-west New South Wales, south-west Queensland. Um, I'm also co-chair of the Friends of Noel Creek Committee um, and uh, direct descendant of the survivors um, um, of, uh, of that uh, uh, massacre in 1838.
4: And, and being a a direct descendant of survivors, what does that mean to you?
0: Uh, well, uh, I think it means a lot of things, I suppose. I, I, I try to uh, imagine the, the weight of history that's on the shoulders of our returned servicemen every Anzac Day, for example, and um, the sacrifice that they were willing to, to, to give um, for our freedom um, and what that means within a national context, within our national narrative um and i suppose in in relation to uh mile Creek and the number of massacres that took place up on my country and obviously throughout throughout um, throughout the continent um as you'd mentioned with um, Lindell's um talk you had um uh, I, I think its it's a testament to the strength of our resilience as as a people um there's an innate ability for us to, I suppose, uh, um, I suppose be able to process those events um, in different ways. And the anniversary of Mile Creek, uh, which is taking place next weekend, or this weekend, sorry, is, um, I suppose, one such occasion where we get to reflect, I suppose, on on the, on the event, the, the trauma of, of, of our past, uh, of, you know, our, our country with our shared history, Um, but also never forget that, um, you know, there was a a great injustice that took place um, and the unique history that came out of uh, the Mile Creek Massacre and um, I think that's something that we get to, I suppose, share with visitors who are able to attend the memorial every year, but also share with our broader public who are able to access um, that information online and also other massacre events that, and memorials that take place throughout the country.
4: And over the years since we've done this show, I've found it interesting how things have changed for the better in that a lot of Aboriginal people didn't want to talk about the massacres and now all of it is emerging. You know, And, and that's a really good thing, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, it, it is something that... I think, needs to be shared, needs to be um, more widely known it needs to be spoken about because this is part of our collective history. You know, it's part of who we are. In 2021, we can't, I suppose, um, look at our shared history with just the positives that we're able to highlight um, throughout our journey. There's there's parts of our history that um, has never had a light shone on it. And um, I think part of that is a testament to the maturity of a country and its ability to be able to accept the good with the bad, the ability to, you know, um, acknowledge um, the the wrongs that were were made in our collective past and also celebrate the, the, the pride and the strength of, you know, our culture as being one of the oldest surviving continuous cultures in the world. I mean... Um, there's a lot to be gained from, from uh, you know, the broader discussions being able to take place in a mature way that sort of deals with um, the, the weight of our history in a way that acknowledges um, some of the things that um, has never been acknowledged before. And um, um, I think the more conversations that we can have in, in, in that space, I think, the better. I think it allows us to mature as a country, it allows us to mature as a, as a nation of people and, um, and I think it allows people to be more um, aware of um, you know, some of the more unknown things that might have taken place within people's own local towns, their own communities and so forth.
4: So let's go back to what you were saying before, Keith, um, about the actual massacre. Yeah. What, and I've always wanted to ask, what happened exactly? What do the records say happened?
0: We, we've got a, um, a memorial uh, rock um, that um, people who are able to visit the, the memorial site um, um, are able to read. And on, on the, the plaque, um, in terms of what happened. um, It's it's a a statement that was uh, developed and endorsed by the the community back in 2000. Um, But it it basically states, um, in memory of the Raya people who were murdered on the slopes of this ridge in an unprovoked but premeditated act in the late afternoon of 10th of June, 1838. Um, Now, on that day, um, a a group of... uh, 12 um, uh, Stockman who who started a sort of murderous campaign um, in the days leading up to um, arriving in Mass in Wall Creek that yeah uh, perpetrated a pretty um, violent act on at least 28 um, mostly women uh, children and old men Um, uh, there's uh, a lot that's been written about the events of, of that day. Um, what we do know, obviously, is the fact that um, there was a lot of good that, that, had, um, that had taken place. A lot of good, non aboriginal people who were so uh, uh, upset about what had occurred um, uh, uh, decided to take action... Um, That led uh, 11 of the 12 uh, perpetrators being um, brought to justice. They were tried in the court of law in Sydney. They were dismissed by the jurors in, I think, a 15-minute deliberation. Um, There was a lot of interesting things that was written um, in society at the time around um, people being absolutely offended um, that uh, uh, non-Aboriginal people could be tried um, for the murder of an Aboriginal person, um, but then um, the the prosecutor um, decided to um, charge. I think it was seven people from from the twelve that were acquitted. They were they were uh, tried and found guilty in were hung for that um, for their part in the massacre, and, and that was and still remains to this day the only time non Aboriginal People were tried and hung for their um, involvement in, um, uh, uh, you know, quite a, quite a violent massacre.
4: Very violent, and and who, so they were tried and hung. Yes, the, the perpetrators.
0: Yeah, that's great. well, seven of the of the twelve. The interesting thing: out of the eleven that um, were brought to to court, um, the one person that uh, never saw a day in, in court um, uh, was, was the one person that was a, a free um, settler. Um, uh, 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 the other uh, men that were a part of the murderous gang were um, convicts or ex-convicts. Um, and uh, yeah, that that, that person you know, lived out his life in um, in freedom. Um, there, there was a, a, a warrant um, out for his arrest, but he never saw the inside of a, of a jail cell at Atlanta Courthouse. So, um, yeah, as I said, um, it was it was unique in a lot, a lot of senses because, you know, it was, it was the first time that people were brought to trial. Um, uh, after the acquittal of the first um, case... Um, um, you know, there was a lot of brave people that um, still felt a great injustice had been done. Um, and after um, the seven were retried and hung, I think um, it would, it would hoped that the massacres, well, the massacres would um, would would stop. But obviously, what it did do, and, and I think. Um, Linda might have spoken about this previously. I know we've had her in panels at work, and um, she she'd mentioned um, uh, on those occasions that it yeah. basically just pushed um, um yeah, in, in, in a more secret fashion. So it was more um, pushed under, yeah. under the, yeah, the, the cloak of, um, uh, yeah, you know, evil see so you no know evil.
4: Yeah, and and look, it was it's so important to talk about it, Keith. And I hope you didn't mind me asking that question, um, no, because the the doing time show really prides itself on looking at the lived experience of Aboriginal people, and and actually going back through history and ha- and seeing how that's connected to the ongoing genocide and colonisation of today, and mm. the the massacres are a very very important part of history, aren't they? And and you being here as as a descendant is really part of the truth-telling.
0: It's so important. I mean, we've seen South Africa post-apartheid undertake a truth and reconciliation process. Um, we see various forms of that being replicated throughout the world. I mean, after World War II, for example, there was a whole process undertaken. Um, we've, we've never, I, I suppose... Um, been able to... We've grappled with this history. I mean, a lot of people have written about it very eloquently um, throughout the years. Um, th- th- this is something that um, uh, I think a lot of um, politicians really struggle with. Um, of, sort course. of Finding a, a happy medium to be able to have a, a, a discussion or a safe space to be able to have these Discussions take place, but I mean, for a lot of Aboriginal people, it's um, it, it can be very, um, it can be very challenging, you know, for them. I mean, they're dealing with the lived experience where, you know, um, um, you know, the last massacre that um, was documented was, you know, was was held, you know, less than 100 years ago in the Northern Territory in Coniston. Um so this history isn't... When we talk about this from the, the perspective of history, it's not not so much... You know, that history is only, you know, from the survivors of the constant massacre that that's two or three generations ago.
4: That's right. I mean, we're, yeah.
0: we're not... That, when we look back at history, we're not looking back that far when you're looking at the last documented massacre. And so I think that's something that a lot of Australians... Um, Sometimes struggle to understand or comprehend, but with the memorial every year, I think it's we've been able to, I mean, provide a space where Aboriginal, and non-Aboriginal families, you know, local MPs, schools, a um, whole lot of different members of our community are able to come together to be able to pay their respects and to remember, um, you know, the events and the circumstances that led to, you know, the, the massacre of, of uh, my people you know, in
4: 1838, but do it in a a proper way, so to speak. And in 2008, the massacre site and memorial was included on the National Heritage Register and also received New South Wales State Heritage Heritage Listing in 2010. I'm just looking at the press release. We're kind of running out of time, but I'm wondering if you could just tell us... um, that where the memorial event will be held, I believe is going to be a speaker, a guest speaker as well. Where is it going to be held? It will it be held on the site, and, and when and where? When and where?
0: Yeah, so the, the, the memorial takes place on the Sunday of um, the Queen's birthday, uh, Queen's birthday long weekend every year. Um, on uh, this year, will be uh, Sunday the thirteenth of June. Um, but that will take place out at the memorial site itself. So that's on the. Uh, it's in the um, New England region of New South Wales, near a town called Bingra, on the Bingra to Dalungra Road. Um, uh, that, that usually kicks off um, um, around uh, 9.30 um, at, the, yeah, at, the, at the site, but we, we gather at the Mile Creek Memorial Hall um, and then proceed up to the Mile Creek Memorial site this year um because we've undertaken a, a huge um development thanks to some funding through create User files um we're going to be holding a community concert which will be a free event up at the the mile creek um, memorial space um uh on the finger to the long road and that that'll be starting at uh 1pm and going to four on saturday so um
4: uh, and there's, obviously there's more information on our, on our website as well, Marisa. So that's www.milecreek.org. And Mile Creek is spelt M-Y-A-L-L, Creek. Two words. Yes. Keith, it's really lovely to have you. And I, I really, I, I find it a real honour to, to have you here. And one of the things that, that I really saw on NITV, which really moved me a great deal, was I think there was there was a really powerful time, I think it might have been a couple of years ago, where the descendants of the perpetrators and the descendants of the survivors got together.
0: Yeah, I mean that happens every year. It happens every year. uh, That's great. At the first memorial um, we had um, Aunt Sue, my my elder, my cultural authority, um, uh, uh, meeting um, uh, Des Blake, who was a descendant of uh, one of the one of the um, uh, 12 that um, led the, the massacre party and uh, Beulah Adams who was also a descendant of one of the 12 that, that led the massacre so every year um, we come together um, both descendants of the survivors and descendants of the, the perpetrators and and you know we remember um, the past but at the same time as Aunt Sue has, has said time and time again as well as my my grandfather um, you know it, it, you are not responsible for for what took place in 1838. You know we don't we don't blame you as a dissenter. No, no. Um, yeah. And we come together as as um, as a community within that space. And um, and yeah, so I think what you're referring to is the the, annivers- uh, the 80th, um, anniversary the eighth anniversary that took place in 2018. From memory, I think we had. Um, uh, Descendants of um, of John Fleming that um, were um, in, in um, that we were able to attend, which was really lovely, uh, and you know we were able to you know come together and and you know in in the sort of broader spirit of you know what the event is held for and, and remembering the the weight of our past, we were able to I suppose come together at that point in time and. Um, yeah, be able to
4: do that respectfully. Keith, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Can I have you back at some time and we could maybe have Lyndall with you to um, to yeah. do a report back after the event? I won't be able to go because of the lockdown. Even if yeah. it isn't extended, I'm sure they're not going to let us travel.
0: Yeah. No, I'd be more than more than happy to, Marissa. I mean, look, Lyndall's done an amazing job documenting the, the massacre history of our our nation. Um I think a lot of that has also been built on the goodwill of, our, um, of your listeners and, and people out there in the community that are part of, you know, historical societies and and have, you know, family journals and, and connections to, um, to places that um, have been able to shed some more light on on that may have been um, uh, 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 brought to light through their help um, to Lindell and the, the research that's sort of been putting that massacre um, map together at the University of Newcastle. And I I think that's basically what this whole process is about. It's about acknowledging, you know, the whole more broader um, patchwork of our shared history. And um, I think that's the only way we're able to mature as a country and we're able to have these conversations in the, the cold light of day and be able to do it in a respectful way.
4: I hope so, and 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 as, as you said, it's it's a celebration. Keith, take care of yourself, and and I really thank you so much for coming again.
0: That's all right. Thank you for having me.
4: Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks. Okay. Yellow. Bye
4: bye. Bye bye. And that was Keith Munro, uh, a descendant of the Mile Creek massacre, uh, a descendant of, and of, and a survivor of the Mile Creek massacre, speaking about what was going on there, um, and very, very unique experiences and, and events that are happening now to bring people together and to, to fight genocide.
3: Add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2021.
6: To donate,
0: call 3 9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au.
1: 3CR Radiothon. Community-powered radio.
3: More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel, at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. your support during our annual radiothon and be part of community powered radio 3cr radiothon fundraiser june
6: 2021
0: to donate call 03 9419 or
1: donate online at 3cr.org.au 3cr radiothon community powered radio
6: the new
4: Climate Action Radio Show will surprise you.
0: Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. Global warming.
4: And so you'll hear voices from all around Australia and overseas that are taking all types of climate action, whether it's stopping coal and gas, whether it's building a new model of society, or whether it's just sustaining you in the grief you may feel about the climate destruction we're facing. And in that spirit, here's a poem by Rumi. Stop, take a breath, for you are drunk, and we are at the edge of the roof.
5: This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's cold.
2: It's cold. It's
4: cold. Tune in every Monday at 5 p.m. to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.
1: Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our radio Radiothon.
2: We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the
4: station to help keep us going for another year.
0: Independent community media is more important than ever and we need your support to power community radio.
3: To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03 9419 8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. 3CR,
4: And you're back with the Doin' Time Show. And I'm going to be bringing you a very special interview with some very important grandmothers, actually. And they're from Grandmothers Against Removal. And we're going to be speaking now with Auntie Allison, and also with – and I'm going to need my, her help, actually, to introduce herself. I think it's Desley. But we will speak right now. We're going to talk about the Stolen Generation and Sorry Day. Hi. Welcome to the program, Allison, and –
1: Desley, thank Desley, you. I got it
4: right. <laughs> you did. I'm Marissa from Three cr Community Radio, and I, we do a lot of work on this show, um, in particular talking to Aboriginal women um, and about Stolen Generation, amongst lots of other things. So I'm wondering if you two aunties or grandmothers, I should say, can start off by introducing yourselves and what land you're from.
6: Who, who, who wants to go first? Yes, okay. I'm Alison Fuller from Western Australia. Uh, my tribes are Wamajiri, Bunabha, Balgu and Nyunga. So I've got family all up and down Western Australia and uh, I'm, well, one of the founders of GMAR Victoria and the president of GMAR Victoria.
5: Okay. Yeah,
6: that's how
1: it is. And I'm Desley from um, Gunai Bidwell, woman, down here in Gippsland. And, um, yeah, been part of GMA. I'm not a grandmother yet, so that time will come.
4: That will. <laughs> Your turn.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just a privilege to be part of GMA and with um, such strong women as Alison and, um, and Rio, Alice and the rest of the, the crew across the state.
4: So, can you tell us how, what happened, how did um, this group happen and what are some of the things that, are, that have gone on?
6: Right, well, in 2018, in the middle of 2018, uh, when Lydia Thorpe was uh, an MP, um, she invited us to come and launch the group from the stairs of Parliament House in Victoria. And um since then we've been working with anyone that requests help in regards to stopping their children being stolen or uh getting care and custody of their family members.
1: And, and yeah. Go on. So I think to that to you know, to add to that our. um GMAR, Grandmothers Against Removal, was a movement that was starting across the country and and there were some um, amazing... Uh, a lot of elders in particular who marched in Canberra and so it's a response from each state picking it up and and then Rio um, and Alison have, you know, set up and, and helped support women uh, like myself to to come on board and to do things out in our communities um, you know, and, and also that it's about, it's about keeping people accountable. You, we've got a lot of services that are supposed to be advocating for our families, um, but what we're seeing daily is the DHS and various um, Aboriginal organisations that are there and services that are being paid to help keep children home, in safe homes with their families... That they are breaking protocol and policies; that they're not adhering to the Bringing Home Report, which states that our kids need to stay within their families and kinship systems. And often, if people in those organisations aren't working on the ground, they don't know who these extended family members are. You know, they don't—they yeah. don't know how to explore that properly. And and um, 10% of our kids, 12,000 over 12,000 kids will be. Living in staying in out of care home tonight in Victoria Aboriginal children, and um, and over a third of those children will be will not be with family or kin, Mm. and and that's what we're trying to make sure that our children are staying within you know their family or kinship systems, in safe homes, and um, that the department adhering to the policies and protocols that dictate you know, what they have to do daily. And we're finding gaps, and I guess that's what it is, that when families and mothers and, and grandmothers are frustrated by the system are finding it hard to navigate, um, finding obstacles, that we come in and, and just see where those gaps are. And, and having dynamic women like Alison and Rio, um, who are fearless, um, make things happen. I say that we have a 100% success rate because every case that we're asked to be involved in, we make some... Positive impact,
4: and does that mean that the, some of the kids get to stay home?
1: Well, that's it. If, if and if, if not with the you know parents, then what is? Why isn't that home a safe home? Let's look at that. That the options yeah. that. Uh, to, um, to see DHS and child protection are always um, criminalising in my yeah. view. Whether it's we're going to criminalise the partner, that'll be first off the rank. IVOs there breaking up families rather than dealing with what's going on in the home. Why are these people acting? Is there trauma involved? You know, is, are there other services that we need to put in place? Mental health or substance abuse, etc. And um, and making sure that. You know, if not, that they're with still close family members and oftentimes when it's time to reunify the family or giving the parents access to the children, that's where, you know, the bottom drops out as well. Services aren't facilitating this and that's a great, you know, this is a vital thing that needs to happen in order for children to return to their homes.
4: I actually find it really disgusting how the aboriginal history is not acknowledged and the mission days are not acknowledged and looking at the fact that aboriginal aboriginal kids have been taken away from their families since 1788 and in some ways nothing's changed which was it fair to say absolutely we're still constantly being criminalized if you
1: look at a lot of the mothers that we're, we're, we're talking with, they're from intergenerational trauma. They've had, they're, 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 they've been grown up in institutions or their parents have been taken away or their grandparents. And so when they're dealing with this trauma, well, we've got children, and look, I'm 50, I'm still bringing up kids um, and I'm still having to face that trauma every day. And, you know, a lot of our mums and parents are being criminalised for. You know, the, the um, factors that come, the, the mental health issues or the substance abuse, abuse issues, homeless, homelessness, et cetera, they are then being criminalised. And I'm a perfect example. When I then was 11 years old, dealing with, I then became criminalised as well. So, you know, it goes on and on, and there's got to be better answers. And we say that, that those answers are, are from, will come from the community and the families. I'm yeah. really
4: glad that that all of you are involved Then And it's so good that Lydia was able to get this group launched as well. We've interviewed her quite a few times on this show too.
1: Right. No, yeah. oh, she's an absolute, absolute gem and, and, and a warrior. And we're so proud to call her our own.
4: And you two are warriors too.
1: <laughs> well, I have to say, with Alison, you know, I mean, we're we're living and breathing it, and walking and talking it, in that we've often lived through it ourselves. Uh, some of our best workers are because we've we've been through, we've had to fight CP in the past, but that's also something they can use, try to use against us because that that's what they that's their whole MO. Their Modus Operandi is about defaming, um, you know, uh, mothers. And, and families, and, and to then come up against them, in, in, you know, and advocating for other um, mothers now. And they will still try and bring up the past and defame us. Hey, Alison, but do you know that good woman down? No. The
4: Bringing Them Home report, why didn't anyone learn from that report? Because it sets out quite a few things, doesn't it?
1: Except, it set up a lot of budgets, I know that. Yeah. Well, I'm... Still waiting to see the outcomes, Alison. What are you? What, what's your thoughts on the multiple numbers of services that are supposed to be there out there?
6: Well, I think it's all set up by government to make it look like they care and to make it look like they're actively doing something against um, this problem, which they've created. Um, But in reality, they had no intention of uh, easing up, and and it can be seen in the actions, because since the report, the rate of children being
1: stolen has increased. And the unaccountability, that's what I find shocking. I mean, we've all been, um, you know, dealing with a case last week is a classic example that um, children were taken off a mother, and we don't see any cause. And we're asking them, and it's it's about keeping the bastards honest. I mean, that's honestly what we do daily. Al, yes.
4: So, is uh, I hope the group's acknowledge, your group's acknowledged by DHS. I bet it's not. No, it is. Is it it's
1: recognized by
6: DHS? Yes. Oh, I'm shocked. Cases, like Leo's uh, and. <laughs> They call her Auntie Rio. She's got oh, the good. Lawyers, the judges, the uh, DHS workers.
4: Fantastic.
6: Um, calling her Auntie Rio and recognising
1: um, her voice in the court.
4: Fantastic.
1: And, and that's, that's how it should be. That, and we want to see that out in the regions and that what uh, you know, and the recognition that Rio has been building and yourself, Al, um, has, has been amazing and commendable. Um, but we we do want GMA recognised all over. It's still that little bit like, you know, they're not happy to see us. Put it that way. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I'm really, I feel honoured that that I'm I'm speaking to the two of you, really, because it's 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 so important, isn't it, to have a group that's recognised there? Because I don't think there's enough unity in regards to. Aboriginal people working with the system, because it's all about fighting racism, isn't it? An unconscious bias.
6: Yes, it's built into
1: their policies. Yeah, the policy is to divide us exactly. So, you know, that's the the, you're talking about unity. I mean, even when I look in um, in my area, you know, there's three or four services that are being funded. Um, to help with, you know, um, to fulfil policies, et cetera, that I see division. And, and if we don't have people on the ground in communities, um, they don't know how to deal with division, yeah? That's right. And, and, and they'll actually start tailoring services... For the division rather than having true elders and people on the ground who know families, who know the dynamics of community, and can act as real mediators and counsellors. Yes. And that's what I see GMAR as being, especially with, I mean, a treasure trove of elders and experience. Amazing to be in the room with, um, like, we've had the meeting recently, Alison. I mean, what a privilege to be in the room with, you know.
4: I'm so happy. I'm happy that this is happening. Now, if there are any any mothers listening or any anyone listening here, how can they get in touch with you?
6: We have a page on Facebook, uh, Grandmothers Against Removal Victoria. They can uh, leave messages there. Yep. Um, to either ask for help or to volunteer help.
1: And we respond pretty quickly. Yes. And there's people all, all around Victoria. Just get you know get onto that website, um, and uh, just ask for help, and somebody will will um, will tag each other. Especially if you let us know what area you're in, and hopefully around the communities, GMA starting you know to get known. If there is anybody who would love to come and volunteer with us, don't feel inadequate or ill-equipped. All you need is that heart, you know that that. Um, understand that struggle and and stand by you know families in your community and if anybody wants to help with contribution, you know we're often rehousing people helping um, facilitate access um, and and we do need help we don't get any government funding we don't want to you know be pulled by anybody's strings so we appreciate any and and any support our way you know. There are just
4: a few groups, um, a mother, Grandmothers Against Removal. How can we what, would, what do we, what do people Google if they need to get in touch with you too?
1: Grandmothers Against Removal.
4: Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll come up anyway.
1: And we've got some dynamic young um, women on board recently too who are helping us more get, you know, with the social media and um, web pages and contacts. So, you know, what's this space. Fantastic,
4: yeah. and we all know that um, Aboriginal women are over incarcerated compared to non-aboriginal women as well so it, you may get some calls um, or emails from from women that have been in prison.
1: Well I just want to shout out to any of the sisters listening um, love you, stay strong and stay safe and um, and your're baby you're a mother no matter where you are and if you need us reach out.
4: Thank you so much for coming onto the program. I've got another interview coming up soon, but is there any any final things you want to say? Thank
1: you for having us. Shout
4: out to all the mob, Melbourne
1: Blacks. Melbourne Blacks, yeah. For sure. All right,
6: later.
4: Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, and thank goodness they've gotten rid of the Aboriginal Protection Board. Anyway, that's something.
1: Well, uh, it's, a rose by, it's a rose by any other name, but
4: anyhow. Yeah, well, have that's a great right.
1: Hour, Thanks <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay. Take, care.
4: Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was um, Alison and Desley, the Grandmothers Against Removal, talking about the Bringing Home report and looking at how they, they're, they're helping um, children in care. And we talked a lot about the Stolen Generation. And hopefully we're going to be having Tiffany Overall from Youth Law coming up very soon. I don't think I'm going to be putting on any announcements because we're running pretty late. Um, Hello, Tiffany. Welcome to the program. Oh, hello, Tiffany. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi,
2: Marissa.
4: Sorry about that. No,
2: you're right. You're right. It's... It's a bit of a hard act to follow after. Grandmother's against removal, but
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah, you you hurt you you're on hold I hurt a little bit of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's isn't it incredible and and that really leads us up to our next topic. Um, in because mm. rega- I imagine Aboriginal children would definitely be impacted. Um, we need to really push push the the criminal um responsibility, don't we? Push it up for children. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, that's right. We've been asking government for a long time to to raise the age of criminal responsibility, still currently sitting at 10, and we're asking for it to be raised to at least 14 um, for a whole range of reasons. But, you know, if nothing else, to, yeah, help keep some of our children out of the criminal justice system that just shouldn't, shouldn't be
4: there. So we, we've had you on before. I mean, just to introduce um, mm. Tiffany for listeners, this is Tiffany Overall from, from Youth Law, and we've talked about this before with you haven't we uh, on an ongoing basis but yep. but it does need to be kept alive doesn't it
2: yeah and that's why i appreciate the opportunity just to revisit it and talk talk to listeners about it again and just i suppose give a bit of an update of where we're at and yeah what, what is, what to is doing going on to get this over the line yeah yeah look i mean i don't know if listeners would have tuned in but um probably over the last year or 18 months there's sort of a a national campaign to raise the age that's been building, building over time. And so that's an exciting space. And um, there's a, you know, it's a very broad-based campaign, but there's a lot of um, Indigenous organisations sort of doing incredible work in this space nationally. Um, And we... There was a big uh, national review um, last year that the federal government um, would were running and we were a bit optimistic about that we thought you know they might come back and the attorney generals nationally might agree to raise the age and that would have been the best way to go about it not not just chip away sort of state by state territory by territory but unfortunately when the group of um, attorney generals got to sort of consider all the submissions made to that review and make a decision they just sort of put a wet blanket over it and a bit of a hold on the review and said look you know, um, basically we're not convinced that that yet that there's enough evidence to suggest that this is a good way forward. We're not going to call it just yet. And they just sort of put a hold on it and we don't quite know when that conversation is going to be reinvigorated nationally. So sadly that sort of meant it's gone back to each of the states and territories to really ramp home their own campaigning to their individual you know, uh, respective governments. So we're trying to get obviously, to take a lead on this um, and and legislate to raise the age from 10 to 14. Um, You know, look, I think there's a fair bit of support behind the scenes within government, but at the moment there's no um, actual commitment from them to raise the age. I mean, they're doing lots of things, I suppose, within the criminal justice system or youth justice system to try and, as much as possible, keep younger children, 14 and under, away from the system but not actually saying they can't be in the system, you know, not actually coming up strongly on that or strong enough in our, our view. So we've still got a bit of work to do. Um, I don't know if listeners would have seen um, the Greens um, put in a private members' bill in Parliament re- recently. No, um, can we, let's
4: talk about yeah,
2: that. Yeah, just... Well, they would just put it in, um, I think, just to raise more awareness around the issue. um, And that bill was actually a bill to legislate to raise the age to 14. Um, So it's definitely putting it on other parliamentarians' radar doing that. I mean, unfortunately, the downside of it is that generally private members' bills don't don't get supported. So, you know, we're we're not expecting it necessarily to be successful. Uh, But I suppose we're using it as an opportunity to have more conversations with, um, you know, a range of people, particularly Parliamentary crossbenchers in the upper house, you know, just educate them around why we need to raise the age, what are the benefits. Um, A lot of the time we hear concerns from um, people, well, what happens then if we, you know, suddenly a 13-year-old Um, does something, you know, um, in terms of that would normally be considered a crime. What happens if we raise the age of 13 and there's no criminal response? What's the response to that young person? What what are you saying? There's no consequences. Um, And we've constantly had to go in and remind them about what that response would look like. And it's typically going to look like a response that a nine-year-old at the moment might get. It's going to be that... But, but heightened and, and sort of a around of relevant support that young person and their family might need to address that offending behaviour, whatever underpins that offending behaviour. Um, and that's going to... It's intensive and, it, it, you know, it requires time and resources, but it's a much better way, you know, of addressing it then and there because all the evidence tells us that if you pour a young person into the system that young their trajectory is much more likely to get, you know, caught up and they're much more likely to appear in the criminal justice system again as an as an older young person. And so we really want to nip that in the bud and have a different welfare, health-based response to these children and their families rather than, you know, criminal response. Um, so, yeah, so look, got a bit of convincing to do uh, still in the Victorian government, but we're, we're, we're going to ramp things up. Well, we want the listeners to come along on that campaign journey with us. Um, and so, you know, happy to share information or... Um, yeah, you know, where, where can
4: people find out about the campaign in yeah, Victoria?
2: So, there's, so nationally, I think there's a, there's a great website. Just You just Google Raise the Age. Uh, and on that website, you'll find out some great information. But I suppose, importantly, there's a petition there that um, listeners can can sign up to if they're interested. Um, if they want to get a bit more involved and find out a bit more detail than what that red, that website can tell them, really happy for people um, just to shoot me through an email. Um, I can give you an address if you're up yep, for that. that'd be great. Yeah, so just to me directly, tiffany um, at youthlaw.afn.au.
4: Fantastic, and it will be really important for um, listeners to participate in that campaign. I believe the minimum age of criminal responsibility in Australia is ten, and in two thousand and nineteen, I think the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child recommended fourteen years as the min- minimum minimum right. age, didn't they
2: Yeah, that's correct, and so really we're just asking our governments to you know get get to where they should have been a while ago, you know and that's that's been an international call. Um, from that United Nations committee, um, to, for all countries to try and raise the age to fourteen, we are so behind the eight ball, Marissa. It's, yeah. it's, it's shocking. Um, so many countries have already done that. We're, we're really lagging behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, hard to fathom why.
4: It's 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 actually you know one of the things that that is is very interesting here, Tiffany. And I'm I'm a great one for history. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, we look a lot at going back in history and seeing what's happened and making sure that history doesn't repeat itself. And I'm sure you would have seen and read a lot of things yourself about how children were treated um, during convict days. You know, even for just for stealing a banana, you know, they were put on a transport um, to the colony of Australia. To Botany mm. Bay or Van Diemen's Land, which I think was the the most brutal there, um, yeah. And and children were treated abominably, and mm. it, they're still being criminalised now, and and Aboriginal children are, are being impacted as well, and being punished. No,
2: that's right. That's right. You're quite right. I mean, yeah, for the for the children under fourteen, you know, in in youth prisons across Australia, yeah, Indigenous young people are. Horrifically overrepresented, you know. I think they, something like seventy percent of those um, children might might be Indigenous young people. So that's that's one um, tragedy. And then I suppose the other thing we know is for all children, any children that hit the criminal justice system and particularly spends time in detention, is that it causes enormous enormous harm to children, um, and you know there's all sorts of associated risks for them having had that experience, whether it's their general well being, mental health, um, it's yeah, so I, I think that's right. We we we're not treating children as children, we're not acknowledging their All very children. specific yeah. brain development, you know, you know, they're not at a point where they've got those sort of um, you know yeah, brain development or or, or maturity or yeah. um, capacity to know, you know, basically understand fully what they're what they're even involved with sometimes
4: and in fact is isn't there a victoria's commissioner of, of aboriginal children and young people
2: um there is there's a um, so within the we've got a just a broad um, children uh, commission for children and young people and so within that sits our Aboriginal um, oh, Children's two. Commissioner, that's Dr. Good. Justin Mohammed. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually a really good reminder to, again, for listeners interested in this topic, because tomorrow Justin um, Mohammed and the Commission will be um, tabling in Parliament a report, um, I think I might get the heading wrong, but something like our, our Children or Our Youth, Our Way. Good. So it's a very critical look at the way the Victorian criminal justice system has has and is treating our Aboriginal children. And it's I I haven't seen it but I the standard's gonna be a very powerful read with some very strong recommendations about how we how we should be doing better.
4: And of course we're not saying that it's just Aboriginal children although that they have been overrepresented no, but it's no, all, no. all children as well, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, well, that's like right. campaign is definitely for any kid having that experience under fourteen, but you know, we we are all appalled at yeah, the over-representation of Aboriginal children, obviously.
4: I'm glad that we've talked about Victoria too because that that's pretty important. I'm really surprised actually that the Labor government hasn't done more about this situation.
2: Yeah, look, I think um, we're not... Yeah, so are we as, as advocates in this space, I suppose. Yeah. Um, we were really hopeful. Um, and look, I think there's some definite... Interest uh, within the Labor Party. I'm not sure if they're just politically a little bit nervous about how it's going to be, of course, you know, received publicly. But I just we've just been really encouraging them just to take that brave step, and that the world's not going to collapse. You know, at some point, Victoria, many years ago now, raised the age from eight to ten, and. I'm sure there were th- similar conversations going on then, and you know what? We actually, it was okay. <laughs> <That's>
6: <laughs> we, we were able
2: to manage that. We were able to manage this. We're a pretty sophisticated service sector. Uh, we just need some better resourcing to ensure we've got the appropriate interventions and supports for these kids. Um, I'm, I'm confident we we will have. Um, I'm not quite sure why, you know, we're, we're so sort of reticent to do this.
4: Very behind. Yeah. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming onto the program. My what goodness, I was just looking at the clock, and time yeah, is and definitely run away running away.
2: For you,
4: hasn't I? <laughs> yeah. But oh, it well. is it is lovely to have you, and and thank you yeah. so much. You've really My provided pleasure. a refreshing approach to this topic. Great. Thank you My very pleasure, much.
2: Marissa. Always good
4: to chat. Thanks so much. Good on you, Tiffany. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Tiffany Overall from Youth Law. We, we could have been talking all night about this. It's approximately 4 55, and we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And coming up um, next is the, the new climate show, climate action show. And don't forget that this Monday is the radiothon show for Doing Time. Donate to all shows at 3CR. And there have already been some donations that have come in for the Do Time Show. Our target is $850. Um, please donate so that we can keep the show on air for another year. I know it's a pandemic, but please see if you can donate. Thanks so much and stay strong and take care. Bye.